Well, hey, good morning. Happy New Year. Um, if you guys uh, are here for uh, the first time, uh, my name is John Wagler. I'm part of this team here and just uh, grateful um, that you are here today and kicking off your new year the right way. And, um, you know, we always take that week off in between Christmas and uh, New Year's um, just to give the staff and all the people who serve just a little bit of a breather and, and just a little bit of rest. And we also like to have this idea of starting off the year with rest um, is like a wonderful thing and um, because life com- comes at you pretty quickly. And, um, and how many of you guys had like a super busy, like hectic, stressful first week of the year? Like when you, yeah, it's like it just happens, like, right? And so um, we like to be able to start off the, the year with rest. But, um, you know, how many of you guys made New Year's resolutions or goals or something? Cool. Um, you know, they're all, 97% of them fail, but like it's cool. Um, but uh, when I was thinking about... Um, New Year's resolutions, this verse came to mind, and uh, in Proverbs 14, 12, it says this. It says, there is a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. And um, so take that, New Year's. And, um, <laughs> but I thought about that because uh, a lot of times we, we get in this rhythm of we want to see our life go in a certain direction, and then we do things that actually don't take it in the direction that we hoped it would go. And so we, we, we get new habits, which can be really good, y'all. I'm just, I'm joking about the new disciplines and new habits, but you can get new habits and new disciplines in your life, but they don't actually take you where you want to go. You just have a new discipline. You know, you might get a new habit that's really good. You start eating a little better, which is great, but ultimately is it going to really take you and like change your whole life? I don't know. And I started thinking about how uh, the main goal that every person should have should actually be centered around their soul. Because if you can do like intensive soul care, um, you'll see your life go exactly where it needs to go. You'll see your life begin to change in a way that you've always hoped. And listen, all those, eat better, yes. Exercise more, yes. Like be a better friend, yes. You know, read more, yes. Whatever those you know, little disciplines, yes to all of those things. But if you don't do soul care, it doesn't matter. Like you'll just be a person of good habits and good discipline with no inner work of your soul. Um, it's, that's what really changes things. That's what really starts to develop who you're supposed to be. And, um, and so I was thinking about emotional health and we've, you know, we, we talk a lot about, uh, about that. And so um, for the next eight weeks, we're going to talk about emotional health. And um, it's going to be based off of this book called uh, Voice of the Heart by Chip Dodd, which is one of my favorite books that um, I've read in probably the last 10 years. Um, and uh, it's, it's a wonderful book, and I'll, I'll, I'll tease out some of the stuff that he does, but he talks about these eight core emotions that we all have, and each week we're going to spend a week on this core emotion and how it ties into um, our faith. But um, at the essence and at the, at, at the heart of all of this is to be emotionally healthy, um, because here's what I know. Um, emotionally healthy people love themselves, can love God, and can love others in the right way. You begin to see the world around you in the right way. Um, if you are not emotionally healthy, your relationships suffer greatly. And so, um, but to be emotionally healthy, you have to do this inner soul care work. And so that's what I want us to um, concentrate on. And so when I was thinking about emotionally healthy people, here's some things that stick out to me. One, uh, emotionally healthy people operate out of deep sense of joy and hope. A deep sense of joy and hope. And um, pessimism and negativity is, is really trendy, right? And, uh, but man, emotionally healthy people have this deep sense of joy and of hope. 
um, even within the context of um, even the you know the song we just sang, and and uh, one of the reasons that that song is so powerful uh, whenever I hear it um, is because every person in this room has a story, and um, and every person in this room is living a story, and the story is shaping in your life, and um, and I know a lot of your stories, and and to see some of you guys singing like you're singing, knowing like the pain or hurt you've been through is like wow crazy, right? Um, but where does that come from? Where it comes from a healing aspect in our souls that enable us to be able to praise, enable us to step into um, what it means to be uh, emotionally healthy. Another thing with emotionally healthy people um, is they become aware of bodily responses. Um, um, how many of you guys have heard like the phrase or, the, you know, or about the book, How the Body Keeps the Score? Have you ever heard about that? Um, that your body literally has kept the score of the trauma of your life. The trauma of your life. And, um, and so, um, the, you know, we see the reality of our bodies. And so, um, you know how sometimes, like, you get around certain situations and you feel your body tense up? Well, what is it? Your body is telling you something, right? Um, it's keeping the score of something that came, like, maybe a long time before, and, and you feel it. And you feel it. And um, your body is telling you something. Emotionally healthy people um, understand it's, never, it's a never-ending process of exploration and discovery. So even right now, if you think, like, I'm actually, like, pretty emotionally healthy, um, one thing can flip that really quickly. Um, if you're not continuously staying in process of developing, I don't care how young or how old you are, um, it's a continued process of exploring and discovering. I was uh, teaching at a men's retreat uh, yesterday, and um, I was in, uh, I had this, uh, these guys do this, this um, drawing exercise, and um, this 65-year-old man, um, roughly, um, was, was talking about some of the things that he discovered about himself in the midst of doing this and things that he had never thought about or never wanted. He goes, I mean, there are things that I've never even shared with my wife and I can't wait to, to talk about this. Um, and, and so there's always something to explore. There's always something uh, to discover. And then the last thing here, emotionally healthy people uh, desire relational intimacy. Desire relational intimacy. Um, you can't have relational intimacy without um, vulnerability and trust. But in order to get that, you have to be an emotionally healthy person. And so um, I want us to dig in for these next uh, few weeks together. And, um, and here's what I know about, um, how many of you guys want to have great relationships? Look at that. Look, this is wonderful, right? Um, guess who can't have great relationships? People who are not emotionally healthy. And it doesn't happen just by chance. Um, it takes effort, it takes exploration, it takes vulnerability, it takes confession, it takes repentance, it takes forgiveness, it takes grace, it takes mercy, it takes like, it, like to understand that you need to grow. And we all uh, need to do this. And here's the thing, to be emotionally healthy and have like relationships that are really good, like you need to be able to give something to someone, right? So if you want to have like emotional healthy relationship, you have to be able to give emotional health to the other person. You cannot give what you don't have. And so we have to understand that like, all right, what am I doing then in the midst of this to be um, an emotionally healthy person? And I was doing like a bunch of just research around this. And uh, uh, do you know when it, like this whole thing starts is when you're in the womb? This is crazy. It's like there's, you know, there's attachment theory that, that ends up happening. I won't get into that. But like, but it, it starts like literally when you're in the womb. Your emotional health starts in the womb. In the second you are birthed, 
what happens immediately in that moment creates a starter starting point. All in this, like your emotional health begins there. So how you were held and who was there and, and all this other stuff. And, and, and this is why like parenting is, is like a big deal. Because you're, you're shaping things in your kids and, and, and you were shaped by your parents, right? And, and I get it, like talking about emotional health is a new thing. Sometimes I'll sit with people and they'll be like, oh man, my dad did this and, and my mom did this. And, 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 and I understand it like sometimes because like the pain that's been happening in those moments. But there's also a reality you got to give grace to because like people didn't talk about this stuff. Like they were going, they were operating off of what they knew. And, and, and so you have to be careful of too much of being too judgmental um, to those that have maybe come before you. But we begin to see that right in the beginning, um, the most emotional health for you as a kid, all right, started when you were in the womb and then aggressively started, like things started happening as soon as you were uh, born. So those of you who want kids, know that's coming. Um, <laughs> I've always joked that, like, you know, they, they talk about how, you know, 80% of your worldview is shaped by the age eight. You know, so, like, on our kid's ninth birthday, we were like, we did the best we could, guys. <laughs> and um, so hopefully the rest works out okay. Um, but I don't want anyone to feel guilty because I know, like, you know, the, the reality is um, your parents um, maybe didn't do the best that they, maybe they tried to do the best that they could and maybe didn't work out the best for you. Um, maybe you're thinking right now that you, you, you have kids and, and you think like, man, I've never invested in any of this and I don't know what I did to my kids. And I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. And, and let me just say this, there's always room for grace and mercy and restoration and reconciliation and things can begin to change. You might be sitting here being like, I dodged a bullet, I don't have kids yet. Um, if you desire to ever have kids, like you got to start now. Um, but kids don't even matter in the scheme of things because your own emotional health deeply matters with the relationships that um, you have right now. And so um, I want to talk about this at a deeper level because here's um, how it all begins is to examine our hearts and examine who we really are. And the Bible talks about like examination all the time, like self-examination, begin to understand what's going on in the core of our being. Um, Jesus even says it this way. Um, If you look at in Matthew chapter nine, he says, knowing their thoughts... Look what he says. Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your what? Hearts. Jesus, like in the core of your being, that there's something about what's going on inside, like your soul, the very core of who you are. There's something that's going on in there that is triggering like your thoughts. That there's this deep connection that's there. And so to understand, like, this is why like, soul care becomes so important in understanding what's happening inside of us and the inner work of exploration um, that deeply matters. He, uh, Jesus also said this way in Luke 6. He says, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree uh, bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his what? Huh, something going on in, inside. So if, if something is rotten in here, something rotten comes out. He says, and even brings evil things out of evil, evil stored up in his what? You, you can still read it. It's the same word. <laughs> Heart. For the mouth speaks what the what? Huh. That there's something in our actions and there's something in our words that reveals what's actually going on in our souls. 
And so um, if a lot of negativity is coming out of your mouth, that's negativity that's in your soul. If a lot of anger is coming out of your mouth, that is anger that's in your soul, in the heart, the core of your being. And it's important to examine the reality of what's actually happening inside of you. And this is what Jesus is trying to get us to understand. He's like, there's something going on inside of you that you got to dig in, that you got to examine, you got to figure out, and uh, that this inner work is super important to understand. Even way before Jesus, there's a guy by the name of Jeremiah who's a prophet, and he was talking about what we build our lives on and the foundation of, of who we are and how it relates to our heart. And he says this, cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and who's what? Turns away from the Lord. There's something that says... All right, when you just trust in who you are and you trust in just the things of this world and what's in front of you and I can go my own way and do my own thing, it's your, your, your heart, the core of who you are is turning away from God. And you decide I'm gonna trust in my own way and, and what he's saying here is like, man, curse is that person and here's why. Because that person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. You don't, you don't see life as you should. You don't experience life to the fullest like you like you should. They dwell in the parched places of the desert in a salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence, right, this, the foundation of who they are is, is in him. He says, they will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when the heat comes. It leaves are, its leaves are always green, meaning like when the things of this world comes at this person, when they're, when they're grounded in who they are, the foundations where this root system starts to, to, to start to um, disperse everything and, and you become, you, you, you're not fearful of the world around you. You're, you're, you understand, you, you can see the way God wants to. Why? Because of what's going on in your heart and what you've based your whole life on. It says it has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? How many of you guys um, have said something like this? I just love who I love. Like remember at that one point you were dating someone and you're like, this, my heart is all in and that person was a disaster. <laughs> right? And you were like, no, I, you don't understand who I love, right? And it's like, no, you don't understand. <laughs> Like, your heart is so deceiving when it's not based on the reality and the truth of who God is. That's why we want to explore who it is. And so he even says, the Lord, he searches the heart and examines the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve, meaning that, that God understands our hearts, understands what's going on. So when we base our lives and, and begin to understand and link what's going on inside of us to the reality and the truth of who God is, we begin this process of real exploration and the ability to actually have a deep sense of understanding of what emotional health uh, really is. And so for eight weeks, we're going to do this. We're going to talk about feelings. And each week, we're going to take one feeling of our, of our core feeling. Uh, in this book, uh, Voice of the Heart, um, Chip Dodd talks about how uh, we have eight core feelings, all right? And um, how many guys like a good feelings chart or something? Yeah. Um, but that you have eight core feelings. Now you might be thinking like, there's way more feelings than that, Wags. And I would say, yes, there are. Um, but it's like primary colors. 
you know, there are primary colors and then there are like a lot of other cards around this. But, but what we see is like that he would say that there are eight primary um, emotions and feelings and, and here are the eight. I know it's hard to see. Um, I couldn't get it bigger than that. But uh, it, it's hurt, lonely, sad, anger, fear, shame, guilt, and glad or joy. All right? So hurt, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Loneliness, sadness, anger, fear, shame, guilt, or gladness or joy. That these are the eight core emotions that you operate out of. And um, understanding these emotions become critical in terms of your own development as a person and, and actually how to see God properly uh, in your life. Um, and you'll see, and he and has this chart. I actually literally carry this chart on my phone with me. I use it all the time with people. Um, uh, recently, I was at a, a pastor's retreat, and I'm in char- I, I, I help lead um, this grouping of pastors in conversation and everything, and, and we're sitting down, and I was getting so annoyed uh, with their lack of vulnerability, because um, they were all putting up, like, just kind of like, oh, I'm, do- I'm doing fine, and all this other stuff, and, and so I'm like, nah, I want this conversation to be a little bit different, so I take out my feelings chart, um, I text it all to them, I was like, you can only talk like this. I feel sad because... I am fearful, or I'm feeling shame. And, and so with every single emotion that you have out of the eight main ones, there is a gift, and we'll go through this every week. There's a gift to that emotion, and then there's an impairment to that emotion, okay? And begin to understand these, these realities. And so you see these things, you might be thinking like, well, hold on, why is there only one positive one, right? It's only, it's only gladness, but you're, if that's where your mind kind of went immediately, um, you got to understand that you can't have authentic joy until you work through the other seven and to understand how the other seven work in your life. And to get to authentic joy, you've got to understand the gift that's in each emotion, which is a good thing. So even what you might see as like negative up there, there's a gift to that. And so to be, good to, to be able to get to authentic joy, which is where God wants us to be in fullness of life, to get to this, we've got to understand, like, all right, what is the gift and impairment, and how to see God working in the midst of all of this? And so we'll work through this, um, each one, every single week. Some of you guys might be saying, like, whoa, I thought anxiety or depression um, are, are, like, main, you know, emotions and feelings. And, and, and what Chip would say, actually, the, the author of this, he would say that um, neither anxiety nor emotion is a feeling, but a symptom of avoiding one. And so... Um, and so we begin to understand at a little deeper level um, of what's going on inside of us and that allows us, and here's like the pivotal piece in this, this will allow us to begin to uh, love ourselves more, which is critical to understanding how God sees us and uh, we begin to love God and love others more. It's all linked in together. And so this exploration becomes critical to your relationships, to yourself, to God, and to others. To be able to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we can't do that unless we see how God wants us to see and begin to explore the realities of what's going on inside of us. Um, Let me also add a little caveat to this that I am not a therapist, okay? And so this isn't going to cure everything for you. Um, My hope through these eight weeks is first that you have a deep life-changing encounter with God through this. That two, um, that this becomes maybe a starter for some of you to begin to have a time of exploration of who you are. And I don't care how young or old, okay? And, and you might be a little bit older and you're saying like, oh, I am who I am. I'll get to that in a second. Um, or you might be feeling like, I'm not emotional. I don't feel things. And I would say like, that's a problem, okay? And so um, that is an indicator you are not emotionally healthy, 
okay? And so um, it's important then begin this process and begin to understand this at uh, a deeper level. So you guys ready to talk about hurt? How many guys have had a hurt? There we go. Every hand should go up, maybe for the rest of the time. But here's um, the reality of hurt. The gift to hurt, I'm sorry, the impairment to hurt is resentment and bitterness. And so um, we begin to see that uh, we sang it earlier, right? When I thank God, and, and there's that little line that says, like, bitterness, get out of here, right? Um, and so it's, it's the, the impairment with, goes poorly with, with unprocessed hurt is resentment and bitterness, all right? The gift of processed hurt is healing and courage. To begin to um, actually voice um, how you've been hurt to begin to process where that hurt has uh, come from. Um, our little daughter, Ruby, she's five. She is um, very emotional. And um, we don't know if she's a mastermind or just clueless, but um, she is, uh, like even the other day, like she voices her hurt incredibly well. Um, and, um, and so she'll, and it's, it's, she's five, so whatever, but, you know, um, she'll, you know, we talk sternly to her uh, and discipline her and she'll, she'll like, you're hurting my feelings. Why do you talk so sternly to me? Right? And, um, um, or the other day, um, Lacey was in the store with her and, and uh, just, you know, just like grabbed her arm and, and she goes, why would you do this to a child? You know? And um, again, y'all, we are, you, if there's anything to pray for, it's us with that girl. Um, but, um, but she's expressing her hurt, Right? And, um, which is like a good thing. And, uh, and so we are honoring her emotional health, I guess. But, um, but it's important to begin to learn how to express your hurt. So think about this. Um, if you take notes, you can write this down or even on your phone, whatever. Because I, I, I want you to actually write down, all right? Everyone to write down right now because I just want you to see it. It's different when you think about it. I want you to see it. Who is someone who has hurt you recently? And I actually want you to write down their name. If they're next to you, I guess you can hide it. But, they're, <laughs> but to, to write down their name. Someone who has actually hurt you. And I just want you to see their name for a second. Now you have this name in front of you and maybe you have multiple names in front of you. The secondary question that comes from that is how have you handled it? Does that person even know? Have you even processed or have you just buried it? Not dealt with it at all? And so what ends up happening is, is I want you to like see that name and I want you to understand that an unprocessed hurt with that name that's in front of you will lead towards resentment and bitterness. And that changes things. It begins to wreck your emotional health. It begins to hurt your relationship. And eventually what starts to happen is it hurts your relationship with God as well. Because unprocessed hurt, it makes us resentful and it, and, it, and it makes us so bitter that sometimes we even put this on God. 
Sometimes we can't see things and can't see the reality of who God is and, and our hearts get so hurt by this. I'll read a verse here in just a second out of Hebrews but it talks about what bitterness does to our souls. And so we've got this gift and we've got this impairment that is an option for, for all of us. And I, I remember um, even for me, uh, I, I've had two different pastors say two different things and just show you what it's like when um, people are healthy versus unhealthy. I had one pastor tell me at one point, we were talking about um, just the reality of, of what it's like to, to lead people in a, a church community and, and, and sometimes honestly how hurtful it can be uh, towards us because people you know, like say things about you and, and all this other stuff and whether it's on social media or whatever. And, um, and he said this, he, one guy said to me, you just got to learn how to harden yourself to that because it's just part of the deal and you just got to have like a tough, like really tough outer shell um, and just handle it um, and just kind of suck it up because it just, just it is what it is as a pastor. That's one option. The other option was another guy who came to me and, he, and I was talking to him about it and he goes, hey, you need to make sure that every time something happens that you figure out how to process what happened. You get an email that wasn't great or someone says something about social media or someone leaves the church and like spreads something about you that isn't true, whatever. Like you have to process it and learn how to process it. Otherwise, it'll rot your soul. And so um, there, that's, a, that's a difference between someone who's healthy, right, and, and unhealthy. And it's two very different things. And so to be in the process, hurt is, is so important. Um, how many of you guys have ever used a phrase like this? Suck it up. It's not that bad. Forgive and forget. This too shall pass. Or look on the bright side. You ever use those? That's not processing hurt. That's ignoring the reality of the hurt. And listen, I'm a total suck it up person. The reason why I wrote that, wrote that one first is because that's the one I say to myself and to others the most. And, and you realize that in the moment that's like, it sounds like you're trying to be tougher, but the reality is, is you're, the unprocessed hurt hurts yourself and then eventually hurts other people around you. And so should we be tough? Yes. But you know how you're really tough is to be emotionally healthy because then you can process hurt in the right way and it actually doesn't hurt you as much. It doesn't impact you as much. And so processing our hurt is so important. Um, here are a couple of quotes from uh, Chip Dodd in the book. He says this, hurt is not just about what somebody did to me. It's about me taking ownership of how I feel about what happened to me. You have to take ownership over what, what, what has actually transpired and begin to talk about and process the hurt so it doesn't rot your soul. So it doesn't create like this, this valley in, in your soul. He also says this. He says, we often attempt to avoid the truth and vulnerability of hurt by hiding it, denying it, or dying from it. We label hurt as an enemy and we become prideful and fearful of it. Examples abound. But anything that we use to cover, deny, or destroy our emotional and spiritual hurt is detrimental to full life. To full life. We'll come back to that in just a second. But... So this reality we begin to see, like to not process that or hurt, to not talk about it, to not begin to engage it, becomes detrimental to f a full life. Um, actually, well, I could, let me just say this first. 
The toughest part of resentment is we feel justified, okay? So um, you are bitter at someone and uh, you are, uh, have resentment towards someone um, and you feel justified. Why? Because you were hurt. And when you're hurt, it feels right to get mad at somebody. When you're hurt, it feels right to just, you know, it feels right to be like, I, I almost wish for the worst for someone else. Like, it feels right on the front end. It does. And so we feel justified in all of this. And, um, but it, it's not helpful. It doesn't lead us to full life or full relationships. Um, I see this um, with, uh, at funerals a lot. And you'll sit with people and be like, hey, uh, can you tell me, um, I remember doing uh, uh, one of the funerals I did, I was like, can you tell me like something like good <laughs> about this person? And, and I'm sitting with these people and all they do is they start venting of how bad this person was. And then they just wrapped it up. And, I, and you sit there and it's like, oh, y'all have all this hurt that you never processed and never talked about. And so you actually never had a relationship to this person who's now dead. And you have no opportunity to now. And so you begin to, to see like the problem with unprocessed hurt. And so when resentment comes at us, here are a few things to remember about resentment or bitterness, whatever you want to call it. Resentment cultivates a vengeful heart. Um, that you, uh, you want something bad to happen to that other person. Um, you uh, hope for the worst. Um, you don't want them to die, but you just want them to get hurt a little bit. You know, like, um, you, 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 you just, there's like a vengefulness in your heart. Here's the thing about when your heart gets in that state of revenge. You are unbelievably vulnerable to sin. Because you don't actually have a love for another person. And so what ends up happening is your heart gets there and you're so vulnerable to sin. And, and you'll have actions and thoughts and words um, that come out that are completely, like they, they do not resemble Jesus whatsoever. And that impacts our relationships. It impacts how we see God. It impacts how we see ourselves. Um, a second thing that happens is uh, resentment rots our soul. Resentment rots our soul. Um, Hebrews 12 15 says this, watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you. It's like, it's literally getting inside of you and it's rotting your soul. And what does it do? It corrupts many. It does, and here's what it's saying. It doesn't just corrupt your soul. It corrupts your relationships around you. And so we can see then, you know, if um, you see how this happens, right? Uh, if if an if a embittered parent raises a child in their bitterness and resentment, it then what? It corrupts people around them. So we begin to, to see that. Um, a third thing that happens with resentment, um, resentment leads to escapism. Um, and this can come in a lot of different ways. You might escape a tough conversation. You don't want any part of it. Um, uh, you might be um, uh, someone who is like a pleasure seeker and uh, an adventure person, and, and that, this doesn't have to be bad. Um, but um, a lot of times what people do that are like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna move, I'm gonna go here, I'm gonna keep vacation, I'm gonna keep doing all these different things, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do all these different stuff, and, and, and it's doing to avoid hurt. If I just keep moving, if I just find the next adventure, if I just find the next pleasure, if something just makes me feel good for just a second, and it can be escaping the reality of hurt, but really what's going on is you have bitterness and resentment 
in your heart. A fourth thing is, oh, I'm sorry, um, denying the reality of what you're going through is, is, is not living in reality. So a life of denial is like you are in a fantasy world. And so you can't be healthy. Your relationships can't be healthy. Um, a fourth thing, resentment will lead to a victim mentality. Um, if you always want to be the victim, you will be. If you always want to be offended, you will be. And, um, and so um, it's important to uh, begin to, to process um, the reality of what you're going through. And then the fifth thing um, is resentment leads to a lack of compassion. Resentment leads to a lack of compassion. Uh, we become so embittered in our souls and our souls begin to rot that we lose the ability to, to be empathetic towards um, ourselves and what we've gone through and like process the hurt that we've gone through, the process, the trauma that we've gone through, we actually lose compassion and empathy for ourselves. And, and we can totally um, degrade ourselves, think we're worthless, all that, right? And, and we lose compassion towards ourselves. And we also lose compassion towards other people around us, genuine empathy towards um, other people around us. Now, um, I also wanna say that um, if you are around people who are resentful and bitter, being a doormat to those folks um, only empowers their emotional immaturity. And so it's important to um, be able to step forward and say, hey, when someone's like, and then you know what else? And you're like, did you tell them that? And they're like, no, I didn't tell them that. Like, maybe you should. You know, or man, they, they really hurt me. Like, well, what did they say when you told them? I didn't tell them. It's like, well, what do you think is going to happen? And so it's important to start thinking about this. And here's another thing with oh, being resentful. I thought I had this, no, but I don't. Um, being resentful contradicts the posture Jesus has taken towards us. The act of grace and forgiveness and mercy. Um, being resentful and bitter, it contradicts the posture that Jesus took towards you and took towards me changes everything. So now the gift of understanding and processing our hurt um, becomes a lot different. When Jesus talks, right, he says this in John 10.10, 10. he says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they have, met, have life and have it to the what? Full. And so you begin to see that the thief, the thief can be, in this context of this passage, the thief actually uh, relates to the religious system and, and Pharisees. Um, um, and so the thief can be a lot of different things. The thief can be people, thief can be a temptation. The thief can be evil and how, you know, the devil works in this world. Um, the thief can be a lot of different things that come steal, kill, and destroy us. What greater and easier way for the devil to work inside of us is to rot our souls and make us embittered at people and negative towards people, lack forgiveness towards people. So it steals something from us. But man, when Jesus is like, man, I've come so that you can find life to the fullest. So you think about that name. So if you go back to that name that you wrote down and you realize how you've handled it, but how about this? What would be different if you invited Jesus into that person's name? You see that person's name, you're like, I want to invite Jesus into this. What changes? What changes? See, when this healing process begins, um, I want to highlight just a few things with healing. One, healing brings a willingness to be vulnerable and be hurt. I know. You're like, whoa, whoa, I'm just processing my hurt. And it's like, I know, but when you're healing, 
Like, here's what you start being willing to do. I want to be vulnerable about what's actually happened to me, but I also understand that hurt's going to happen again. So repeat after me. Life is hard. Hurt will happen. And that's the truth. Life is hard and hurt is going to happen, right? But what starts to happen, when we start to heal, we allow ourselves to be vulnerable again. We allow ourselves to say something. And, and guess what? Then we start, and here's where their strength comes in. Our strength comes in in understanding that, guess what? I'm going to get hurt again. But here's what I want to do. I want to stay in this, the gift. When I'm hurt, I'm going to process it so I can continue to be vulnerable, which means we can grow and learn and everything else and discover the reality of who God wants me to be. And then um, I can continue to understand that hurt will happen again. Um, healing requires personal responsibility. Healing requires personal, you have to do something to heal. Um, it requires personal responsibility. We can't just like rid ourselves of this. The third thing is healing uh, creates proper boundaries. Um, a lot of times like we get in a, a talk like this, and Laura, you can come up. Um, we get in a talk like this and people are like, oh my gosh, is Wag saying the person who gave me so much trauma or abused me that I have to go Back to that, I am not saying that. See, emotionally healthy people create the right boundaries in their relationships so that you don't put yourself in scenarios to keep getting abused, to keep getting hurt. You might have the proper boundaries that, like, you had, you know, you might have been a child and you had no choice in it and it just kept happening. But now you, as part of your healing and in the reality, I'm going to put proper boundaries around this. And guess what? Sometimes those boundaries are actually consequences for the person that hurts you. And that's a part of the healing process. Healing gives us perspective. If we can't tie in things from our past and how it has impacted our present or how our present will impact our future and begin to really see this, and we aren't healing, we're actually stuck. And, we, and, and that's not going to lead us into the gift of a full life that God has for us. And the last thing is this. Oops. Well, I don't have it up here, but healing brings hope and you can imagine a better future. That healing brings hope and you can imagine a better future. As you begin to see the world around you, begin to see your relationships, you... You start operating with compassion and resilience and kindness. You start um, believing in reconciliation with people. You start um, believing that things can be restored. You start um, having this deep sense of hope and the reality of like, man, God's at work in me. And I can start having the posture that Jesus had with me that anything is possible. I mean, no one steps back and then like, man, I feel just like Christ when I'm really bitter at people. But man, when we're in a state of healing and we have a depth of kindness and resilience and compassion and empathy and love, we believe in a brighter future and a hope that could happen. We believe in a processed hurt. It's like, man, God could do a wonderful work inside of me through this. I understand that it's, this isn't a quick fix. Like some of the pains and hurts that we go through are decades long sometimes. Man, can you imagine what would begin to change once you invite Jesus into this? 
changes your life and you start this process. You're committed to, to healing and let him do something in the very core of your being to understand what is really going on. And so I leave you with three questions and then we're gonna sing another song. Across your life, what are five most painful, your five most painful events that you've experienced and how have you processed those moments? With recent hurts, has your response moved you towards resentment or healing? And then what would happen if you prayed for the person who hurt you? What would happen? And I'll leave those up there and you can take a picture of it or whatever. Um, but as the band comes up and gets ready for us to sing, I just want to give you a minute and um, to just process. Maybe it's a hurt or it's a, you're picturing a person's face right now or, or something. And what would it be like to invite Jesus into this? And what would it be like to start to heal? So God, this morning, um, we're about to sing about having a firm foundation in you and um, when everything around us feels like it's just chaotic. And we might even at one point thought that you failed us. The reality, God, is you won't. as we process our hurt and begin to understand what's going on in the depth of our soul and we feel like that maybe you're gone or maybe you've left us, you haven't. And so God, may we boldly sing and believe and trust and live out the reality that you are our firm foundation and that is what we build our entire life on. And that's where healing happens and courage begins. Will you stand and sing this last song with us?